Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 471 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, December 26th, 2022. I think in Britain they call this Boxing Day. In the United States, it's just the day after Christmas. It's also the waning hours of Hanukkah. And we, the Duke Basketball Report podcast, are back to talk to you basically exclusively about Duke football, although we will touch, I think, on the NBA at the end of this program. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein. I'm actually here today, which is great. I am joined by Jason Evans and Donald Wine, who are more here because you're going to hear more of their voices than you will mine today. So Donald Wine, first of all, where are you checking in from? And uh, how are you on on this day after Christmas? Well, first off, happy Kwanzaa to everybody. It's the first day of Kwanzaa. This goes for the next seven days. So happy Kwanzaa. Uh, It is the first principle of Kwanzaa is Umoja, which means unity in your community, which just means it's just great that I'm able to unify with the two of you on the day after Christmas to talk about some football this time. So that's beautiful, man. I like that. Yeah. uh, But I'm here in Texas. I do go back to D.C. tonight. Uh, because we have a bowl game uh, in Annapolis on Wednesday that we need to attend. Sam, I'll see you there. Uh, yeah, you will see me there. There will be unity, at least among me and Donald in the community, because we'll be at the bowl game together. Jason won't be there, uh, so we'll miss him for that. But but I think we're going to see a lot of the pregame, uh, like official Duke tailgate was sold out. So I think we're going to have good attendance there. Jason Evans is not going to be there, but he is going to be watching. Jason, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. A little jealous of you guys attending that pregame. I, I I love my football, but man, a good tailgate that may be even better than good football. <laughs> and and the 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 forecast I think for Wednesday has has been slowly creeping up in temperature all this week. So mm-hmm. I think we're we're going to get into the 40s. The game time is two o'clock, which is like perfect, you know, weather timing. It will be night by the time the game ends. But uh, at least like when we're out there, we're out there for like the warmest part of the day. Hey, hey, can can I ask you guys what was the coldest it got wherever you were in the past few days? Because it it got down to ten degrees here in Atlanta. We don't deal with that very often. <laughs> uh, so I was here in Texas and it got down to eight, but the the real temperature, the feel like temperature, was in the negatives. Well, I, I was in I was in Boston. It was uh, I think it, the the real feel got down to like minus three or minus five, but. Uh, the the best part of this whole thing for me, and, and by the way, I, I don't want to minimize this too much because I know that a lot of folks, uh, there's there's been all kinds of damage all over the country because of because of big snow drifts and waves and and freezing and stuff. But there was a moment on Friday when uh, basically the rest of the country had experienced this this Arctic chill, whatever the thing was, but it hadn't actually reached Boston yet. It, it was in the rest of New England, but for whatever reason, the shape of the um, of this of this cold front like went right around Boston and, and the immediate region. So it was like 55 degrees in Boston and it was like and there were negative temperatures in Texas at the same time. The only places that were warmer mm-hmm. than Boston in the U.S. were like Southern California and South and Florida. Hawaii. And yeah. So so all my friends like in D.C. and in New York, they were like, I can't go outside. It's too cold. And I was like. I went for a walk this afternoon and I took my jacket off and it was nice. Uh, my my brother lives in California. My my son lives there as well in Los Angeles. Do you guys know what the temperature is in LA today? 69 degrees. 81. 80 I'm like that is un it's like they're living on a different planet from the rest of us. How could Here, it be 81 in LA today? Here's All what's the- funny. Here's what's funny yesterday in in Texas here it was like the, I think the high was like 22 degrees the year before, like this time last year, they set a record high. It was 82 degrees. So it was a 60 degree difference between, between Christmases a year apart. Jason, you must not understand the whole mentality of Southern California, which is that when we all talk about the weather, they just like nod and laugh at us because that's just, that's the weather there always. Uh, Yeah. It's, that, that, that's why it's a popular place to live. I, I right. People people move. You know, you're not you, you don't. I assume you don't meet a lot of people in Atlanta who are like, you know, I lived in San Diego for a while and then I decided to move to Atlanta for the uh, weather, for the weather. Right. Exactly. Although we get. Hey, Atlanta has great weather. We, we get. I mean, we do pretty well here. Yeah. For five months out of the year, it's unbearably hot and you can't go outside. 
Anyway, it, it won't be unbearably hot on, on Wednesday uh, when Duke takes on UCF in UCF's final game before they – a lot of changes going on in the UCF program, but I know they're joining the Big 12 next year. Uh, lots of lots of changes at UCF, but we are not qualified. I don't think we are fully qualified to talk about them, which is why Jason and Donald did a little exchange program last week with the gentleman from Black and Gold Banneret, which is the SB Nation UCF podcast. We've done we've done uh, switcheroos like this a couple times where we've had we've gone on other people's shows. They've come on our show. So uh, what we're going to present for you now is uh, the conversation that Jason and Donald had with those guys. We're going to listen to that. We'll take a break when we come back. Uh, the three of us will react to that conversation. We'll talk a bit more about the bowl game. And then uh, I think Jason and Donald wanted to, I, all three of us wanted to talk NBA. But uh, as a as a preview for what's coming at the end of this show, I didn't stay up late enough last night to watch all the games, but I am told that Aaron Gordon had the dunk of the year. So at the end of this program, I will be watching. I have not seen it yet. I will be watching the Aaron Gordon dunk live and we'll react to it. So if if you only came here for basketball, just skip ahead, I think, about like 45 or 50 or something minutes in this show. Like, just listen to the last few minutes, and you'll get all the basketball that we're doing today. There's no Duke basketball games uh, this week. They're not coming back until Saturday. They're playing FSU. We'll be back to preview that after the uh, after the bowl game. So right now, it's Jason and Donald with the guys from Black and Gold Banneret, and here we go. All right, the Duke Basketball Report podcast is now pleased to welcome in two guys who pay a lot of attention to Central Florida football, Jeff Sharon and Kyle Nash from the Black and Gold Banneret. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about the big, big bowl game coming up for our two schools. Jason, Donald, what's up, man? Thank you so much for having us. We are here to hurt ourselves again at the hands of Duke from 2019 in basketball in the NCAA tournament. All the hey, way to now you, you brought it up. You brought, we were going to, this is, we we're going to focus on football. Uh, we were going to leave basketball in the rear view, but Hey, you brought it up. So, so we're, we're, well, you know, I, I, you know, but our, our therapists over the years have told us, you know, just acknowledge the, the, the hurt outright. So this, this was why I was brought aboard was for that therapy. And we're, listen, we're teaching Jeff not to wallow in his pain. I, yeah. Sorry, it's a daily struggle. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> Guys, well, we can get to that in a little bit. Let's let's stay on topic for the moment and focus on the bowl game. Kyle, I'll come to you first. Tell me what it, you know, pretend like I know nothing about UCF for the Duke fan that doesn't pay a ton of attention to to UCF football. <laughs> what should I expect from from your team? I mean, the stats say a lot of it on its own, Jason. This team likes to run the football first, and a lot of that starts with their quarterback, John Rice Plumley. And and say what you will, I know there was a lot of controversy during the season whether he or Mikey Keene, who's now transferred to Fresno State, should start. But the reason why JRP is in place is because he is a lottery ticket for a big play. If one thing, if the defense overcommits just a little bit up front with a certain missed, uh, missed pass rush or anything like that, this guy can turn it into a big run and the points on the board almost immediately. And listen, he he hides a lot of flaws in other parts of the team. I've been critical of the outside edges of this offensive line, which is going to be very interesting facing the Duke defensive front in a whole other question. I know I'll be watching that closely, but the, the moment that John Rice Plumley gets into the second level, look out. You know, the, the big bait play capability of this group is what makes them truly dangerous, whether it's John Rice Plumley or some of the receivers outside. While Ryan O'Keefe is transferred and that'll be a whole thing, they have other receivers that are worthy of mention, right? Um, the, uh, the, the whole receiver core, I feel like, is just a big play making to happen if they somehow find space. But it's not all speed, gentlemen. Look out to supplements from one Isaiah Bowser running the football. He's a great triple threat. I know triple threat's a basketball term, but I wanted to keep it friendly for you guys who are basketball people. He's a guy who could run the football. He can block well in pass protection and catch it pretty well as a check down option. So while he may not be the fastest guy, he's not RJ Harvey. That's another big play lottery ticket, as I like to call it. 
but he's definitely a guy who's going to get you those yards when you need them. And you're going to see his number a lot, gentlemen. If UCF gets in the red zone, his name's Bowser. He's going to run through like a big dragon out of a Mario Kart game, thusly named. I'm just saying. Hey, hey Kyle, just to file up, follow up really quick. You've had some guys enter the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. The expectation is that those guys are not going to play in the bowl game. Is that correct? Yeah, with O'Keefe especially, he's the big loss. Also, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, uh, the veteran defensive end, excellent player. Um, he's moved up to an SEC school. He's with Ole Miss now, so he's expected to be missing. Um, Devad Newt-Wilson, the, the, the DB, is uh, 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 declared for the NFL, so he'll be missing. And Devontae Brown as well. He's transferred to, I believe, Miami, where he has a lot of family ties there, too. His dad played. And, I mean, playing for playing for Cristobal, there's worse, worse things in life. I'm you know, no offense to my fellow coastal uh, football uh, people here, but yeah, he's he's going to be a guy that um, that'll be interesting to see wearing uh, a U on his helmet with the uh, DB ties they have in their history. So you mentioned some of the skilled players that you will have on the field. Uh, let me ask you this. Obviously, you guys are from Florida. Uh, Florida doesn't get cold that often. It is going to be very, very cold during this bowl game. I mean, the high is supposed to be in the low 30s uh, at two o'clock uh, when this game is kicked off. What is going to change about the game plan, if anything, uh, especially considering the fact that you do like to run the ball, but some of your skilled players on the outside on the wide receivers may have to adapt and not, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, have that aerial threat that you normally would when it's warm. No, that's a good question, Donald. And that was addressed actually uh, this past, uh, I think it was uh, during signing uh, early signing day here, or not early signing day, but actually on Monday. Been a bunch of pressers with Miles on this week. What can I say? But when he, while announcing the new defensive coordinator, Addison Williams, that question was asked of him in bowl game preparation. There's not really a whole lot you can do. You could prepare for rain and dunk the ball in water and all sorts of stuff. You can't really prepare for cold. But the good thing about having a lot of transfers, guys, they are guys who are from places other than Florida on this roster, right? Isaiah Bowser ran in Northwestern. You know, now the other receivers, you got guys that came from Kentucky and Florida, less of a factor, but uh, (laughs) yeah, that's definitely an adjustment, especially with the receiver core that struggled at times catching the football, especially early in the year. So you had some, you have some of those dropsies that's problematic in the cold weather, but you alluded to it. And, you know, me and my trans, uh, tra- trans warfare bias agree that if you could run the ball, it's not going to come up very much. So I think I think the big thing that Duke's trying to do if they want to win this game is get up two scores as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think that it, what you hit on, Kyle, I think is key with Isaiah Bowser in particular. I actually think that this will be a pretty Bowser heavy game. I, I think that there's a little bit of a misconception, too, about Gus Malzahn as a head coach that he's a sort of, you know, high flying pitch and catch guy. And he's really not, he <laughs> believes in running the ball and believe it or not. I mean, I know he wrote the book quite literally on the, you know, no huddle, uh, the hurry up, no huddle offense. And I actually have it right here. Like here is Gus Malzahn's book about the hurry up. No, huddle. Can you offense. send that to us. Cause we need to I, you know do some more research. And, and, I, uh, you know, we got to make sure we're prepped too. <laughs> by the way, the, 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 the high school quarterback on the front of the cover here is uh, SMU's head coach right now, Rhett Lashley, I should say, but uh, who played for Gus, but um, he believes in running the football and, you know, it's not Bill Parcells style running the ball, bringing the, you know, the play clock all the way down. It's we're going to, we're going to sort of to use a basketball analogy again, pace and space using using the run going misdirection but you know when when the time comes we can pound the rock and that's and that's borne itself out UCF is seventh in the country in rushing and 53rd in passing uh and our quarterback is you know like John Rice Plumley, like Kyle mentioned is a is a primary run threat and what when he was at Ole Miss he was they they were touting him as the fastest quarterback in the SEC at the time which is saying something so yeah, I look for this to be, I don't think the weather, you know, as long as it's not raining or snowing in Annapolis is going to be overly much of a factor because UCF is going to be run heavy and take shots when they can, when they present themselves, which uh, UCF has done on occasion, you know, this year to good effect. Jeff, I want to go back to you, but I want to switch to the other side of the ball, the defense. And, you know, when it comes to your defense, when you look at from the outside perspective, when you look at the defense, it seems like takeaways were not what was, you know, the thing that you were hanging your hat on when it comes to stopping the opposition. What was it about your defense that was so successful this year and got you to this point? 
Well, I think a, I think a few things were key. I think early, you know, early on in the season, they had they do swarm the ball. You're right. They're very they are the perfect complementary defense to a Gus Malzahn style offense where, you know, you're going to bend but not break. You know, they are going to give up some yards. They're probably going to give up some points. But at the end of the day, they were they were pretty good at, on third down. They were very good in the red zone. But I think as the schedule toughened uh, later on in the year, we saw teams figure out some tendencies on them. Um, you know, the defensive backfield, I think, at, at times played uh, played a little bit off. I think they were worried about, you know, giving yeah. up deep shots later on in the season. And But, uh, Donald, you brought up a great point about turnovers. The philosophy, and again, going back to Gus's book, the philosophy that UCF espouses is we're going to concede some numbers on defense as long as we're able to force turnovers because that gives our offense extra possessions so that we can go on a 14 or 21 nothing run, right? And then put you down and then you're playing from behind and have to hurry and that plays into our hands. But UCF has had bad turnover luck this year. I, I don't, I, in fact, I think this is the, the fewest turnovers we have had post Georgia Leary going back to 2015 um, in terms of turnovers gained this year, UCF has only gotten uh, 18 turnovers. And by the way, six of them have come in the last two games. Uh, that's you know 60th in the country, but UCF was in the hundreds prior to that. So, uh, I think it's a spate of bad luck. And also, bear in mind, UCF just lost their uh, defensive coordinator, Travis Williams, who went to, to let, who left to take that same position at Auburn, but they quickly hired Addison Williams, who's the cornerbacks coach and associate head coach, to take over for, for Travis. Uh, UCF also lost their offensive coordinator, Chip Lindsey, but they're going to hire his replacement after the bowl game because Gus Malzahn likes to call his own plays. But they were very quick to make that move on the defensive side of the ball because they wanted to be consistent on that end. And even with Jeremiah, Jean, Jean Baptiste and Devonte Brown leaving in the transfer portal, I still think this is a pretty deep defensive team. Traymond Morris Brash is still around. There's still a number of guys on uh, in the secondary who I think, you know, will, who, who I think will be forced to step up, but this is still a pretty talented team that relies on speed. You know, and they caught, Name you need to add in there too, Jeff. Josh Salascar, I think, is going to yeah. make break this this game in particular, especially with Leonard and his ability to run. Keeping Leonard under control is central to this game. It's funny, guys, as we play another ACC opponent. I asked Coach Malzahn if he saw similarities between you guys and the other teams that the uh, that they challenged in the ACC, specifically Louisville and Georgia Tech. He told me that these are completely different teams schematically. I don't know that I completely agree in one particular facet. Your quarterback is super mobile. It's not Malik Cunningham, but he's still a dual threat. And the battle has to be won up front first. And I think Josh Salascar is a big or Salascar is a big piece of that, just like he was in that Louisville game against Malik Cunningham. The one the defense that lost that game. Don't get me started off on offensive line play unless that's your next question, Jason. <laughs> well, no, no. I, I actually wanted to go back to the defense really quick, Kyle. And I, I was looking at your schedule and it looked like th for the first six games of the year, you guys didn't give up more than 20 points to anybody. Mm -hmm. And then the back half of the schedule, even though you're still winning games, teams are scoring more on you. Was that a function of opponents? Was that a function of something changing with the team? Because I'm, I'm wondering, is this going to be one of those games that's a low scoring battle or is it going to be a shootout? No, that's that's a good observation by you, Jason. And it all comes, I think, I think it's a combination of of both there, right? Going towards the end of that season, there was a long stretch of 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 games that happened all successively. You know, that there was a hurricane that came in, in there that took away a bye week essentially after all the scheduling stuff was worked out. You know, you guys, you guys being in Duke, you know what hurricanes are, not like everybody else up north. We get that. Uh, but uh, with all that in mind, earlier, let, let's also keep in mind earlier in the year, you know, no offense to South Carolina State as a program, not exactly a daunting juggernaut compared to the rest of what's on the schedule. And they were able to do some other things defensively that worked early right they played a lot more man-to-man -man in the smu game and were challenged four times in the end zone and smu lost them all despite the fact they have tanner mordecai at quarterback right but 
going on, that same sort of strategy failed against ECU, where they got absolutely blasted. Granted, the offense did them no favors with turnovers in that game, but they were losing those same one-on-one battles deep. And in my mind, if I were to guess and play, you know, pocket psychologist here, as I often do on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, <laughs> is, is the whole concept that they thought it would work early, and then when they doubled down on it and lost, they overcomplicated starting to play so far back. If you look at that two-lane game, Jason, these guys are playing 12 yards back in some st- in, in some plays. Then two-lane would throw a screen, and the, the defensive back has so much ground to cover that the runner is like, oh, I know he's coming, can make some fancy juke move because two-lane has a lot of athletes on their team, and then they turn it into six points. So you, for my money... They were able to do a lot of that red zone action and, and without turnovers, keep points off the board, right? There's a, there was a stretch of like five games where teams would not only fail on their first drive in the red zone, then they would miss the field goal afterward for the first field goal attempt. So there's a little element. I, I, I take data very personally. I do it for a living in my day job. So I, I look at that data. I'm like, this is a bit of a lie here because these things happened. And all that happened in the back half of the schedule, some of that was exposed a little bit. But to Jeff's point earlier, later in the season, when they got those turnovers, in a lot of cases also happened to be in the red zone to keep those points from happening. And you guys know well enough, uh, despite being basketball guys, you know failing to score in the red zone is a big deal when you start piling those up. Then Gus's offense controls the ball, and then suddenly the next thing you know, there's a big gap in the score. So I have a couple of questions for for the two of you. I, I think, and Jeff, I want to start with you with this. With with Duke basketball, we kind of look at certain stats, and we kind of go, hey, this stat, you know, if it's at a certain level, that's normally a barometer for success. When you look at UCF football, if there's one stat or one area of the football, one one unit, whether it be the you know offensive line, the linebackers, is there something that you can point to that says, hey, if this is good, that is usually a barometer for UCF success? Oh, yeah. Yards per rush. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. And I know that's I, that's boring, right? But it really is true. We've said it time and time again on our podcast, you know, going over it. Like you look back at the games that UCF has won or lost, it comes down to, did they win it in the trenches? You know, and, and the Louisville game, you know, I, I, I think I point back to that one and say, you know, that was one where it was really the only game I thought that they, that they lost where they kind of played a team to a draw down low. Um, you know, the other, the other games that UCF lost against East Carolina, they got absolutely demolished up front. Um, Navy, we got Navy in that game. There's really no other way to say it. Um, we know what that is. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Tulane to their credit, after we beat them up in new Orleans earlier in the season, uh, in a game that, you know, we, the, the first game against Tulane, you know, UCF won the battle on the line of scrimmage early and jumped out to a big lead. Uh, and put them down. And it's and it, the first uh, th- that game ended up being closer than I think it probably should have been. But uh, again, you know, Kyle likes to talk about fool's gold. I thought I think you know now that we look back on it, that first game was a little bit of fool's gold because UCF jumped out so quickly and and hit Tulane in a way that uh, that I don't think they were truly expecting. Um, you know, uh, Tulane kind of dominated the game uh, up front, and then that opened up a lot of opportunities late when UCF was trying desperately to get back into the game had a couple of opportunities to do it, but the defense couldn't stop them. And the reason why was because, you know, Tulane just kept, you know, kept running the ball and UCF really wasn't able to run the ball particularly well, especially in this, especially in the first half of that game. So um, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's boring, but you know, if UCF is ripping off five yards or more a carry uh, that opens up the shot plays that opens up the misdirection for John Rice Plumbing, where he can rip off a long run, as we've seen several times this year, um, and, and for me, that's, that's the t- statistic that I, that, that I always look at. What about you, Kyle? They say, you call that boring. I'm going to come out even boring than more boring than that turnovers. Simply put the ones where John Rice Plumley either, either forces or, or is, is blindsided because, um, Tylen Grable let him, someone cross his face again, then, then, you know, causes a sack fumble. That's that, those are the things that are murder. And, and listen, with the risky prey calling that, that, that Gus will do at times, I don't have a problem with it, but I know UCF fans pull their hat. Why on earth would he do that? And then it works and they're like, oh, my God, he's so great. You know, <laughs> I, I'm sure you guys know a little bit about that with Coach K and, on the basketball side for certain. But um, listen, Feast or famine. Exactly. 
Um, with but with all that in mind, it's it, I'll go a bit more specific than Jeff did in the run game because he's talking about yards per carry. I mean, Isaiah Bowser could carry Paul the ball ten times and have five yards to carry. That doesn't necessarily translate to a win. If John Rice Plumley has over a hundred on the ground, that means he's hit the lottery at least once and gotten points. That's the stat I'm looking for. And the last question I have before Jason wraps this up is. If there's a play, if there's a part of your game that you think is the most inconsistent and the biggest cause for concern, whether it be again offensive, defensive, you're like, hey, we give up a big play. What's that one area that every time you you play a game, UCF, you're just like, oh no, we got to make sure that this is airtight. Kyle, I'll go to you first. I mean, I'll ask, I'll I'll ask Jeff. What am I going to say, Jeff? Oh well, well, I don't know what you're going to say because sometimes sometimes Kyle likes to cross me up and keep me honest, but. If I'm the the one that I look at really is quarterback play. And that's nothing against John Rice Plumley, you know, especially in terms of his speed. But, you know, we I, I think we as UCF fans were spoiled the last five years with Mackenzie Milton and then Dylan Gabriel, who were truly generational passers. I mean, really generational passers, especially Dylan, who had the strongest arm, I think, of any quarterback I've ever seen come through Orlando. Um, JRP is not that guy. No, uh, he he completed 63 percent this year for 2,400 yards, but a rather modest touchdown to interception ratio of 14 to seven. UCF does not take passing shots down the field. They take they take chunk shots, but they don't throw to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's the thing that I look at, like JRP's percentage is high if the run game is working again. If you keep him in the pocket and you turn him into a pocket passer, he's going to have a long day because he likes to get out. He likes to throw on the run. Uh, he worked a lot on throwing on the run last year. I think he's actually, he, it's a strange thing. I think he's actually more accurate on the run than he is in the pocket, which is, <laughs> which is kind of, which is kind of weird. But I, I mean, that's, that that's what we've seen at least to this point. So uh yeah, I, 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 it's the the passing game. I think has been the most inconsistent, and I think also part of that too, Kyle, is the fact that UCF is still a transitioning program from the American into the Big Twelve, which we will join in July of twenty twenty of this coming year. And so you have you know some Big Twelve power conference level athletes that are around that ball that that are on the outside, but some tendencies on some uh, on some ends that are that are kind of still like stuck in the american a little bit mm-hmm. which is it, it's it's kind of weird it's it's like we're in this sort of mesh point right now and um if, if, if we are most consistent passing the ball when we are consistent running the ball if jrp's a pocket quarterback it's gonna be a rough night for us but where does that start, partner? It starts on that O-line. Come on, you knew that would have been my answer. I gave you a chance to be omniscient after listening to it all season. You missed. Yeah, but you, you they're asking me for numbers here, man. They don't get it. You don't get stats. It's, you know, but you're right. Yes, <laughs> the you offensive line. That. See, th- th- this is the abuse I take, gentlemen. No, but but <laughs> listen, this uh, the, the, what the stats do show is the big touchdowns that John Rice Plumley does get. He's taking advantage of somebody cracking outside, trying to take advantage of the tackles. And and listen, I know you guys, if you've done your research, have seen Ryan Swoboda as an all-conference or first-team all-conference in the American for the for the tackle spot. He didn't get my vote. I know that. So now, granted, the greater concerns are on the left side. But oddly enough, while Jeff's um, critique of John Rice Plumley passing the football is correct, the short time where John Rice Plumley was forced to do so in the American Athletic Conference Championship when he we, when everybody realized he was too injured to do it to to run the ball like that and um uh, Thomas Castellanos was still not ready cuz he's too young when he was forced to throw the ball as a pocket guy actually had his best stretch of pocket passing so far so that's something if I'm coach Elko I don't want to see because how do you coach for that? Is that it was a, that just a, an outlier? Do I prepare for it? It's a tough place to be. But if the tackles continue to fail, especially against what I see in your defensive front, there's going to be a problem there. If they get together and get tight, like we saw in the Cincinnati Bearcats game uh, where they had the big one at the bounce house, I'm enthused as a UCF fan at that point, because that means it's going to be a good fight up front and get your popcorn ready. 
All right, guys. Speaking of that, I want each of you to give me your prediction for the game. I know you're going to probably be wearing black and gold glasses. That's okay. <laughs> and I don't just want like a score. Like, tell me what you know how you think the game is going to go. Kyle, I'll start with you. Well, see, here's the thing. I've been accused of being a West Florida fan all too often, despite being on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. So you figure out my ability to wear glasses, gentlemen. But that being said, I think this is going to be relatively low scoring. I'm, I would not want to bet the result of this game, but I would bet the under if I was one of those guys to put money on it. But for, 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 for my money, your pardon expression, depending on where they set that line, I'm expecting about a 45-point game between the two teams, 24-21, very conservative. And Duke wins at the end of the game off of a turnover where GRP forces a play trying to be the hero and end it. They take advantage. Leonard makes a big play of some sort, either running it or finding one of these athletic receivers you guys have been talking about. And they set up the field goal to take home the military bowl victory. I have UCF losing this football game. Hey, I don't need Jeff's. We're done. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, fine. Fine. I will I will put on the black and gold glasses, and I will say that this will be a shootout, and I think UCF is going to win. Uh, I think bowls are weird, guys, right? I mean, just yeah. it, it, nothing makes sense in them at all, ever. Um you know, if we think it's going to be a defensive battle, it ends up being 45 to 41. Uh, <laughs> if if we have, you know, if we have two teams that are like, man, they're going to light up the scoreboard, it ends up being 10-6. Uh, so I'm just going to go with it and say, like, the, the kids are all there to have fun. Uh, even though it's cold, everybody's going to be running around. Uh, I think this is going to be an offensive shootout. I, I, I want to see a battle between these two quarterbacks who who, you know, could possibly play at the peak of their seasons. Um, and I think UCF was going to, uh, it, 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 you know, has a chance to run the ball pretty well against Duke. But I think, that, you know, that, you know, Duke's offense is, is well prepared enough to take advantage of some of the holes that UCF has on defense. So, um, yeah, this is going to be a shootout. I'm going to take UCF uh, plus the three because, you know, why not take the three in a bowl game? Why not? Hey guys, before we go, I do want to really quickly touch with you uh, about someone who's at UCF that is very near and dear to Duke fans' hearts, and that is your head basketball coach, Johnny Dawkins. We alluded to it at the very beginning of, of this conversation. How's, how do you guys think Johnny's doing? And uh, you know what, what does the future hold as you guys move into the Big 12, which is a real big step up in quality? Now, listen, for, for me, it's my first press conference with the black and gold banneret guys was talking to Johnny Dawkins. And one of the first questions I asked him was about the farewell tour with Coach K um, and, and how he felt about that. And even even again, my very first time meeting this guy pours his heart out. Granted, I obviously wasn't the only person there, but, you know, for him to to respond to me in that way. Uh, I felt special up front, just covering the guy for the first time and now going into the second year doing it, man, he's, he's a great human being and he's just very easy to talk to and deal with. And, and there's moments off the camera where he's very pleasant and, and just is, is so personable. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to him as closely as some of the other guys on the banner at staff, but my experience is fantastic. And, and as for moving up, into the big 12. I know Jeff will have a whole lot of historical points and I'll wait for him to make those. But from where I sit, if you're sitting where you are, despite fans complaining about you over and above what they should on social media, without understanding some of the ins and outs of like, okay, you get rid of Johnny, who would you replace him with? And they don't have an answer. Certainly at the price, right? Um, that whole speed, that, that whole concept aside, his ability to bring a Taylor Hendricks into the program as part of the transition. Listen, both men's and women's coaches have talked about how much better basketball recruiting is with that. Hey, we're going into the big 12 thing going away. And, and, and Taylor Hendricks joining the men's basketball team is just upfront, pure evidence of that. And, and I don't know how much better I can put it. Dawkins is the guy that made that happen. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, I've always followed UCF basketball closely, even going back as a student. You know, I, I kind of feel like a, a real affinity toward the basketball programs at UCF because they kind of helped me start my career. So when when I saw that we were that we hired Johnny Dawkins back in 2016, Danny White 
uh, hired him, who of course is the son of the former uh, of, of Duke's athletic director. Um, I almost passed out uh, because I, you know, I recognized the importance of Johnny Dawkins and the cred that he brings to a program, not just on the floor, but off it. Um, you know, UCF fans have always been clamoring for the program to take the next step in all sports, really. Um, you know, not just football, but in basketball as well. We haven't actually won a conference championship since we were in the Atlantic Sun Conference in 2004, 2005. We've gone through Conference USA, the American now heading into the Big 12. And, you know, we saw a glimpse of what could happen with UCF uh, in in that 2018-2019 season when we reached around a 32 and lost uh, to Duke uh, on a game where I still think that ball is hanging on the rim. I don't know how it didn't fall in yet, but <laughs> but I, I get ahead of myself. But, um, you know, since that, that group of guys graduated, B.J. Taylor, Taco Fall, Aubrey Dawkins, Johnny Sun, uh, the program has been in sort of a, a, a turnover mode where they've been trying to reestablish that foundation you know there was a pretty good foundation that was there um you know we've kind of been struggling a little bit in the american since but you know this year off to a nine and three start had some pretty big wins though the three losses have been by a combined seven points uh one of them came on a buzzer beater the other night against mizzou down in sunrise which don't get me started on that i'm hurting from that boss man yeah i know but um you know, you, uh, Kyle mentioned Taylor Hendricks, and I think that, you know, recruiting is something that as UCF transitions into the Big 12, if Johnny can really, you know, flash his wares in terms of recruiting, I think that the transition to the Big 12 will be a little less bumpy than maybe we're thinking. I'm not predicting conference championship at all by any means within any sort of re- within any sort of timeline because we're dealing with the likes of Baylor and Kansas and Texas Tech. And oh, by the way, Houston and Cincinnati are joining with us. And oh, by the way, BYU is also coming in and they're pretty good. And all their players are 30 years old and older. But um, but I think that if UCF can manage its expectations, if Johnny can recruit well, and if UCF can also as a program pour more resources into basketball to be commensurate with the big 12 level, which they should with the upcoming TV contract that the big 12 is going to have Um, that will bode well for the program in general. You know, we look back at it and I think it's a pretty interesting thing over the last five years, UCF has UCF's winning percentage has been, I believe it's fifth in the American athletic conference, somewhere around fourth or fifth, but they're next to last in terms of basketball budget men's basketball budget next to last so if you can believe that yes that's a thing so so i'm so i that's only made me a bigger admirer of johnny because he's macgyvering this thing into the big 12 uh you know with paper clips and duct tape and that thumbtack over there i think that now we will have an opportunity to really invest in men's basketball and get this program up to the level that I think the fans want it to be, but have yet to actually provide the investment for it to be. And once it does, off we go. Because this, you know, this is a place that loves to win. I'd be I mean, I'd be remiss, remiss, boss, man. You're going through all the different would-be opponents. You live in Orlando. You're not going to bring up the team coached by Penny Hardaway, are you? I can- <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hey. It's yeah. It, we'll talk about resources, right? I mean, geez, but um, but yeah, it, that's one of the more surprising things I think that everyone realizes, like, is how is how little resources UCF actually has in men's basketball in particular. I look forward to that changing. Yeah, and it, like I said, we love Johnny Dawkins, and we always support him wherever he goes. So uh, we will be big fans of him as and, and the rest of UCF as they make the leap to the Big Twelve. Uh, we will Just need it. all the help we can get. Trust me. Hey, it's onward and upward. Always, <laughs> always upward trajectory. That's Jeff Sharon, Kyle Nash from the Black and Gold Bannerite. Real quickly, Jeff, where can they find uh, your work for anybody out there who wants to learn more about UCF and, and all the programs that you guys have? 
We are on an absurd number of social media platforms. We are on Twitter at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. That's B-A-N-N-E-R-E-T. I'm individually at Jeff underscore Sharon. Kyle's at the SOTG, which stands for the student of the game. You can find Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. We have some great photographers who are really great at documenting all of our events as well, putting them up on social media. We're on YouTube. We're going to be doing a post-game um, video stream right after the military bowl, as we always do. We call it the night shift, which is you know hilarious in its own way. Um, and uh, like I said, you can follow us pretty much anywhere. Just search for Black and Gold Banneret. Well, we appreciate both of you coming on the show. It's been great to talk with you. Uh, best of luck on everything up no, until the no, start of the no. game <laughs> and right no. after the game. Like the three. We're hours not wishing the them game. luck. No, no, no. Not I, wish I, them I, luck. There are opponents. I hope they warm up well. I hope they I hope they get off the bus and are not too cold. Uh, but when the game starts, it's on. That's so but uh, but <laughs> I, I think I forget who it was that said like good luck and I hope you lose. Yes. <laughs> yes. I hope I hope you have the most miserable three hours of your life between two and five Eastern time on Tuesday, <laughs> December twenty eighth. That's when the military Likewise. Goes, ladies and gentlemen. Likewise. Uh, <laughs> but guys, thank you so much for joining us and we appreciate you guys being on. Donald Jason, thank you. Good to talk to you guys. Enjoy the game to talk to you. We are back, and thanks again to Jeff and Kyle from Black and Gold Banneret for uh, spending some time with us, talking us through UCF football. As we said at the top, I I, I don't think that we were going to be in the position to talk about it in nearly as much depth as they were, so we hope that you enjoyed that. Let's get our reactions, though. Donald, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what was your big takeaway from the conversation, and, and I guess as a as a corollary to that, what are you looking forward to most in this bowl game between Duke and UCF on Wednesday? Well, first off, Jeff and Kyle were incredibly engaging. I know Jason and I, you mentioned the exchange program before the interview. Uh, That exchange program was about, we thought it was going to be about 30 minutes of us talking 15 for their show, 15 for this show. And it turned into basically like a little over an hour uh, that we were chatting with them. It was a really good conversation uh, for both. If you didn't check out Jason and I on the Black and Gold Banneret, you can listen to that after this show if you need more and more engagement uh, about the bowl game. But I think the big thing that the big takeaway is John Reese Plumley is their team. Like if, if as they as he goes, so does the rest of UCF. And whether it's through the air or, or really on the ground where he's very dangerous he's the guy that we need to key in on. And I know we're used to having Plumleys on the basketball court. So I'll be interested to see uh, a Plumlee on the football field for the first time on Wednesday. But I think the real key here is keying in on him. And the other thing that they brought up that I was going to bring up was turnovers. I mean, they don't force a lot of turnovers. Meanwhile, this year we've talked a lot about our, our, our resurgence in the number of takeaways that we've had on defense. So that turnover battle is going to be key, obviously. And it's, it's still going to be cold. It's not going to be as cold as we were expecting, but the ball is still going to be a little difficult to hang on to. So if guys can on, on our, on our offense, when we're on, we have the ball, take care of the football. And when we're on defense, go get the football, swarm the ball. Like we've been doing all year. Takeaways are really going to be momentum changers, uh, especially in a bowl game in a crowd where, as you mentioned, Sam, we are probably going to have the dominant fan base here because, you know, there's a bunch of us here in D.C. that love Duke and, and are going to be at this game. So I think that's going to be the key momentum shifts and keying in on John Reese Plumley uh, to stop UCF's offense. And if you think that Duke fans from like the mid-Atlantic and the southeast will find this too cold to attend. Central Florida is in Florida. <laughs> so none of them want to be want to be in Annapolis in, in December. Uh, Jason. What, what did you have as, as the big takeaway from this conversation? I mean, Donald hit the nail on the head talking about John Rice Plumley, And one of the things about him, I, I looked in, you know, after having the conversation with the, these guys, I, I went, I, I got to figure out, you know, a little bit more about this guy who's their quarterback. I, I think one of the big keys for Duke is going to be containing him and making him a thrower and not a runner because he is a guy who can get out and, and, and really cause problems for you. And, and I look at, like their final four games of the season. Wait until I give you these stats on John Rice Plumley. This is going to really open your eyes. So in their final four games, they went two and two. They beat Tulane in a game that was arguably their best game of the season. Tulane was ranked. John Rice Plumley rushed for 100 
and 76 yards in that game. I want to repeat that. Their quarterback rushed for 176 yards and two TDs. They had a game a couple of weeks later against South Florida. He rushed for 133 yards and two TDs. But get this, two of their other games, they lost to Navy and they lost in the AAC championship to Tulane again. In those two games, he combined for zero yards rushing. He had seven yards against Navy, negative seven yards against Tulane. If you stop him from getting out and, and using his legs to create opportunities for them, I think it makes this Central Florida team much easier to contain. And to me, the most interesting thing about this contest is I'm really dying to see what Mike Elko does in terms of changing up this Duke team, adjusting to Central Florida, uh, because bowl games are just you have an unprecedented amount of time to prepare for your opponent. You know who your opponent is. You have a bunch of game tape. It's not like the preseason or something. You've got a bunch of game tape on them. You know who's going to be playing for you and for them and who's been performing well. And you've got a, a month to do nothing but prepare for those guys. So I think it's that to me, that's the fascinating thing because, and by the way, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how they adjust as well because both these teams have quality coaching staffs. I think the other thing that, you know, obviously has been something that you kind of have to focus in on the last couple of years and something that Duke has not yet had to deal with in a bowl game is the transfer portal. And the fact that you have some key guys on, on both sides that either may be entering the draft and, and deciding to hold out, or you have guys who have hit the transfer portal and will not be available. I know that has hit UCF kind of hard, and, and Kyle and Jeff talked about some of their key That's players that are deal. missing, yeah. um, uh, will be missing from this game because they enter the transfer portal. So that's something to look out for as well. And not only do they have players leaving, but they've had a lot of turnover in the coaching staff. Gus Malzahn, of course, is coming back, but um, they're switching out coordinators. And so there's – Jason, I think you make a great point that, like, this is the game where you have, you know, unlimited preparation uh, effectively, right? The coaching staff is normally like turning around game tape the same day that they're installing new plays week to week. In this instance, they have effectively all the time they need to scout the opponent. The problem is there are going to be all these changes happening. And so uh, you wonder sort of how much they're like reading deeply into like press conferences and, and the sorts of things that, um, you know, that like, trying to like out game the opponent in, as opposed to just looking at what were the schemes this year and, and assuming that sort of things will track similarly. Or uh, the other thing that you hear coaching staffs talk about this time of year, I remember David Cutcliffe talking about this extensively when he was the coach, but, but it's certainly not unique to him is that the bowl game also gives coaches the opportunity to install new stuff that they think they're going to want to use next year. So they, they may be testing out, uh, new strategies, new plays, new formations that haven't really come into play yet, either because they didn't feel like the team was ready or because they know that there's going to be slightly different personnel. So even on a team where there are a lot of guys who are coming back, you may find that there are sort of different different combinations coming in. So all that to say, like, we don't really know what, what Duke is going to present for UCF. There is some, I think, to the point that Donald was making about um, about all the the transfers that UCF appears to be having this year, um, there's something to be said for the guys who are who are playing in the bowl game are the guys who are likely to be there next year. And Duke probably has more of those players, more of those key players that are coming back next year than UCF does. You wonder if that is going to like tip the scales at all in favor of Duke, but it's not like you know it, these things are impossible to predict. There are so many factors on. Uh, in terms of sort of where each of the programs are. And then, as I said at the beginning, UCF is is also uh, doing a bit of their like preview for for them moving up a, a step in terms of conference affiliation for next year. So there are plenty of, of storylines at play. Jason, did you have uh, any final sort of observations either about this game um, or about the interview that you wanted to share? I did want us to make predictions about the game and maybe anything we're looking forward to. But uh, any other sort of sort of game notes before we get to the predictions? No, no, let's hit the predictions, man. Sh should I lead it off? Go for it. So I, I I like Duke in this game, and I'll tell you one reason why. I think that this is a bigger deal for the Blue Devils than it is for UCF. I think that, you know, they are a program that has they, – they frankly just played – you know, the guys on their team have played in more bowl games than Duke have. Uh, the, the Duke players, for the most part, 
you know, I'm, I, I, my bet is for almost all the guys who are going to be out there for us, this is their first bowl game. Except and, for a couple of transfers. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I just think that we're going to be more geeked up for it than, than they will be. And, and I think that, I think frankly that, that Duke is a little more of a consistent team and a little bit of a better team. And then the last thing is of course, those, we talked about those transfers and, and, uh, UCF has been hit fairly hard by some guys, some key players who who are moving elsewhere. Uh, so I, I, if I had to guess, I, I, I'm thinking the Blue Devils probably win by about a touchdown, and I think it's probably you know a medium scoring game, something in the 20s, maybe low 30s, somewhere in that ballpark. The other point, Jason, I, I don't know how much we've talked about this either, is that UCF a few years ago was like one of the best programs in college football. They're still consistently very good. They've had a little bit of coaching turnover, but it doesn't even seem to have phased them that much. They're they've always they're one of the reasons that they're moving to the Big 12 is that they have always been competitive in in the American at least for the last 5-6 years, which is a lifetime in college football. Uh you know, they 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 went undefeated a couple years ago uh and 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 celebrated as a as a national championship. So for them there's a little bit of a um, it it probably feels to them like they've gone downhill, like losing in the in the AAC championship game to a two lane game, two lane team that was very good that they did beat this year. But uh, like losing to them in the championship game and then having to play what they would think of as like lowly Duke in in a bowl game uh, in a non marquee bowl game, as you said, that their programs seem to be going in different directions. Not that I don't expect UCF to be to be good again very soon, but um, this may feel like a like a down point for them rather than an up point. Donald, let's hear your prediction. So I think you know, Golf Magazine is not going to be giving UCF any national championships this year like they did a few years ago, uh, and they're also going to have to sit there and watch Duke hoist the military bowl trophy, whatever it looks like. I'm looking forward to seeing it on Wednesday. Um, I think it's 31-23 Duke. I think it does come down to the last possession, uh, but Duke uh, stops them on fourth down as they're trying to drive. Uh, 31-23, Duke wins. All right, guys, I like your uh, sort of range of predictions here. Uh, Duke is playing uh, in Navy's football stadium. There was a a really exciting game that Duke played there in 2010 when I worked for the team. That was a it was a stressful game. Duke was up by a couple touchdowns and then let Navy like slowly creep back late in the game. And the the feeling on the field, I could tell you, was one of mostly relief even though this was still in the years when like Duke was winning very few games at the end of that one, it was like, Oh my God, we hung on. Uh, I, you know, thought that we were, that we were giving away that game. So in, in honor of that game uh, and, and the first time, at least I've been back to uh, uh, Navy stadium since that game, uh, I will predict the, the final score of this game will be the same as that one. 34 to 31 was the final score of that game in 2010. I'll go 34 to 31 for this military bowl game. So uh, like we said, Donald and I will be there on Wednesday. Well, I don't know. Uh, we're not sitting together, but uh, I'm sure that we will get to see each other. If you run into us, obviously say hi. Uh, hopefully, hopefully there'll be, a, it seems like there'll be a lot of Duke fans there. So uh, we, we look forward to seeing you there. We, as I, as I said at the top, no Duke basketball to talk today. There were some great NBA games yesterday. Hopefully, uh, you got to spend at least a little of the Christmas holiday, either ignoring your family or sitting with your family on the couch uh, watching these these NBA games. So the thing I, I think we're supposed to start with, you guys tell me if I'm right here, is that I have to watch the Aaron Gordon dunk. Uh, so do you want me to yeah. want me to start us off with that? Yeah, I think we well could begin it. with that. All right. Uh, <laughs> I've got it up here and I, uh, I'm loading it on Twitter. Let's see. Hold on one second. I'm just OK. I've got the, uh, the 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 straight on angle. He's coming down with his right hand, and oh oh my oh my god! <laughs> Who did he go over there? Uh, uh, Shamay or whatever his name is, Landry Shamet. Landry, yeah. Landry Shamet. Yeah. Oh, the, so so the big question is this: Was it a charge? <laughs> the poor guy. The poor guy just like he he disappeared. So Sam, what you don't realize is that they called it initially a charge. And then they went to they they called a timeout or whatever, and then they reviewed it. And then even though they didn't have a challenge, I think in overtime uh, they do reviews. Yeah, automatically. And so they reviewed it, and then they overturned it and said yes. Not only was it a dunk, but it was also an and one. So it 
So he got the and one on that as well. Is it because he's standing outside the circle? Because his uh, feet are planted. He, no, he said that they didn't. He didn't establish position in time or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and he he does a little leaning too and stuff like that. Well, he he doesn't establish position because as soon as he gets upright, he decides to disappear <laughs> into the floor. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's almost like he gives up. I mean. I, I would not want to be standing underneath of Aaron Gordon when he's going in for a dunk. Although I guess I'm small enough that he'd probably just go over me. I don't know if Shamit gave up, but Aaron Gordon gave him up. That's de- that's definitely what happened. <laughs> My goodness. That's now, awesome. I need, now I need you to see, I need you to also see because John Morant had an almost dunk that would have been even better than what you just saw. So right, I need so you I'm to looking, see that up. I'm looking up uh I'm looking up that well, so this is a this is a harder highlight to find because, uh, because Folks, in real I, time you can do this as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go to Twitter and what Google am I looking Aaron up? John Morant dunk almost John Morant dunk. Here, I got you. I got you. I'm gonna put it in the chat here for us. Uh so here we go. Can, here we go. You got it. Oh, okay. oh, so he so he, like he cocks back and then and then floats a little bit. Is that this uh-huh. one? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, he floated for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh whoever's guarding him. Looks like he was holding him up like it was a, you know, like it was a, a, a pair's uh, figure skating if they, sort of if, thing. If they, if they, you know, so yesterday uh, in Dallas here, they they did unveil the statue for Dirk Nowitzki in his famous, like, fallback. It was pretty cool. Way, cool. Can we talk about that statue? That statue is the best. That is such a great It's statue. a great statue. But if if there's a John Morant statue, it'd be for this almost dunk. Like, that's how, like, like. There's a there's a freeze frame. You're just like, man, he looks just so majestic. This man is about to be eviscerated, and then he just barely misses it. John Morant, John Morant is special. I don't, I don't think I watch enough Grizzlies basketball because uh, he's super cool. And then when he goes to the bench, Tyus Jones comes out. So uh, you're you're as a Duke fan, at least I'm I'm always entertained. So uh, I, got I like. I got two observations real quick before we go because I know we're going to talk about Jason Tatum. Two observations. One. The Grizzlies appeared on Christmas Day for the first time ever yesterday. That means there's only one team left that has not appeared on Christmas. Do you guys know what that team is? Is it the Washington Wizards? No, it is not. What? <laughs> wow, that is a good one. How about Oklahoma City? Nope. No, they had. Oh Kevin no, that's Grant bad. That's bad because they were. They had. That, they had a really good run for a while. Who um, is the? Who's the only team to not appear on Christmas? The only team to not. And appear they've been on doing. Christmas and they've been doing this Christmas thing forever for decades. Um, see, wow. it, it's so hard because it's like, hasn't everyone been like, is it the Phoenix Suns? Nope. They 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 played last night. Oh, they did play that. Oh, yeah. that's right. Um, <laughs> you just saw them get eviscerated. You just saw them get killed. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was a stupid. Edit that out. Don't edit that out. No, no, we, no, you guys, I need to take. I need to. You guys ready for the answer? Take yeah. the L on that one, Sam. The answer is the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, that makes. Oh, sense. that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Yeah, relatively but new franchise. What they well, yeah. So what they didn't qualify is whether the old Charlotte Hornets qualify. Like the Pelicans. No, no, yeah, the new, the now Pelicans. But even the Pelicans have been on uh, Christmas Day before. Um, but the other observation I had, and this is kind of related to football a bit. You know, football had three games yesterday. One of them was on Nickelodeon um, simulcast with CBS. I'd love to have one basketball game, just one. It doesn't have to be a playoff game or anything, but a regular season game. I'd love to see Nickelodeon take that for the kids. I would enjoy that. I did not see this. Hold on. How did Nickelodeon? Was it a different broadcast? No. So Nickelodeon uh, every year, uh, at least for the last like three years or so, they have done a playoff game. And the game is on CBS, but it's also at the same time on Nickelodeon. Is they have like CBS report or uh, broadcasters like Nate Burleson is usually calling the game, but they just have like the slime and stuff like that. And they had like the you know <laughs> Nickelodeon characters calling some of the action. So instead of doing a playoff game, which I think they still are doing this year, they decided to make uh, one of the Christmas games also a Nickelodeon game. So again, I think it was. Unfortunately, I think it was the Denver Broncos game, so the kids didn't get. That was a terrible football. <laughs> the kids game. got some, a lump of coal, um, but they had they they did it on CBS, and then they also had the game on Nickelodeon where you had the slime and everything. It's always really fun to watch it there because it also you know they explain the game a lot more, what's happening, why it's happening, and and obviously they do it because some of the kids don't know all the you know quirky rules that the NFL has, all nine million of them. So it's it's always a fun broadcast to watch. So, so I was the one who said I wanted to talk about the NBA because we we need to talk about Jason Tatum. Gentlemen, I've got a question for you. I tried to look this up and I haven't, I'm not 100% certain. 
I don't believe there's ever been a Duke player to win an MVP award. Grant Hill came close. Grant Hill came came in third one year. Mm-hmm. I believe you're correct, um, Jason. Yeah. Uh, there is a very, very real chance. I mean, right now, feels like it's between Tatum and Nikola Jokic, and I'm not sure who Giannis? I Possibly. Is but, that, I don't know that Giannis is in there as much. Well, Giannis was in there until yesterday. Yeah, Tatum. <laughs> Tatum, Tatum into that real quick. There's plenty. Tatum there's plenty of time for Giannis, for Giannis to recover from from all of that. But yes, he is. He's he's on at least Jason to your point. At least on the first team All NBA uh, inside track. Yeah. Oh, easily. It, to me, it's th- this is this is rarefied air. We just haven't had. I don't feel like we've had a Duke player playing at this level on a team this good that I can recall no offense to the Pistons as great as Grant Hill was those Pistons teams were generally at the lower half of the yeah it was the, the teal Eastern era conference you can say yeah. it was the teal era we don't we don't we don't like the teal era here in Detroit <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and it's a pity that Grant didn't have better I mean Grant Hill was dragging those teams to the playoffs on his back no, it was it was actually his knee, um, which right, yeah, which then affected him the rest of his career. That's why we love him because he sacrificed his body for the franchise. No, but I I just think it's 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 amazing, it's remarkable to me that we could be looking at you know our first Dukey MVP, and it's it's not at all a long shot. By the way, you know I haven't said his name. Zion. There there's a world where Zion's in this MVP conversation as well. He's probably played the best of any player over the last month and a half. Um, yeah, it's been yeah. really it's been really fun to watch uh, just him. Uh, I mean, you talked about Nikola Jokic. He had a monster game last night again. Yo- Jokic did uh, 40 points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists. That's the uh, second that's... time this week he's done that. <laughs> oh, that's just sick. That's crazy. Man's man's a, a wizard. Um, but yeah, there's I mean, Christmas Day NBA basketball is is kind of like the unofficial yeah the game the, the the season's been going on for two months but that's the unofficial like start to the season and you always want those games to be entertaining and and have some you know marquee players going and really i mean the game that kind of was the most lopsided was mavericks and lakers um everything yeah. else was pretty you know although although that that mavs lakers game was was close for for At three the quarters mm-hmm. before Luka Doncic looked down and was like, oh, right, uh, I forgot. Uh, <laughs> I can do and this. Then, and then he started doing <laughs> Magic Luka stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but that game, even that game, like at halftime was 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 competitive. The, the Lake, the, although the Lakers were down, or the Lakers were up 11 at half. And at the yeah. end of the third quarter, the Mavs were up 20 because uh, they had a 51-point quarter. Which which was completely silly. Yeah. <laughs> Christian uh, yeah, Wood I, was hitting threes with ease. Uh, I, did, I, I said I didn't. I didn't watch the the late games, but I watched that Lakers game. I watched the Celtics game. Uh, just like you said, it, it, it's the it, it's one of the highlights of the sports year is is getting to watch the NBA on Christmas, and all the players get excited about it too, right? Mm-hmm. They have all the special commercials, and um, they do. They have all kinds of traditions around around Christmas Day, so the players know that it's like it, it's a privilege to to get to be in one of these games, and so they all like they all show up a little. And they and they want to make those those highlights because they know that that we're all tuning in for it. It's, so, it's pretty. Fun. I mean, normally, like I mean, obviously it's Sunday, so there was there was some football, but normally, and I mean, Christmas Day is all NBA. Like, there's nothing else on. Um, so if you're not a basketball fan, you're watching Christmas movies. So, uh, also, it's also a great day for guys to release shoes. Uh, John Morant released his signature shoe yesterday. It looks pretty cool. Um, it's a it's it's a very simple shoe. Um, so it's nice, but it also has some very pastel colors, which I like. So what's the what's the thought there? Because they're releasing shoes on the on the at the end of the gift giving season. So why don't they why don't they do that a month in advance? It's because traditionally there was only two days where players could wear whatever shoes they wanted. It was Christmas Day and the All Star Game. Now they've relaxed that rule so guys can wear the kind of shoes that they want whenever they want. But before, the Christmas Day was the first time that they could wear whatever shoe that they wanted. And so that's when a lot of guys would debut their shoes. Man, uh, Donald knows and, his shoe game. I love well, and 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 also it means that like every kid that got a that got, you know, Nike or Adidas shoes or something that they didn't like knew what they, they could get. Yeah. You know, yep. Throw those, throw those gift receipts in and uh and get the new John Morant shoe. So exactly pretty cool. All right. We need to get out of here. 
uh, Donald and I uh, need to convene in Annapolis in the Annapolis uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> we're, we're we're bringing that one back. That that so, is that is still like the best inside the NBA or whatever it was. Not it was it was uh, well, no, it was, it was a Capital One card commercial. Capital One, whatever it was. It was around the, the NCAA tournament. Commercial. It wasn't NBA. Yeah. Um, because because Spike Lee does Spike Lee and Sam Jackson do the uh, right do the NCAA commercials. But yes. Your point, your point stands, Jason. Thank you. <laughs> it was it was a great commercial. Donald and I will be in the Annapolis with lots and lots of Duke fans on Wednesday. We'll be back after that to recap whatever happens in the uh, in the bowl game in the military bowl. We'll be previewing uh, Duke's return to basketball and ACC play against FSU, which is happening uh, this weekend. Until then. For Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. Thanks again to the guys from Black and Gold Banneret for joining us to talk UCF football. This has been episode 471 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Duke Band, take us home.